How are you guys doing? You know, we spent all this money, got a brand new sound system, and the pastor doesn't even turn his mic on. Yeah, that's the way it goes. But if you got your Bible this morning, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. Um, to grab it, turn to page 765. That's where we're going to be this morning. And, uh, and we invite you to do that because we want you to know that uh, we don't want you to be impressed with us today. Uh, we want you to hear our opinions. Uh, we want you to walk away from this place thinking that we're anything special. We want you to be confronted by Jesus and his word uh, and nothing else. And so uh, we want you to turn there, follow along with us in Acts chapter 9, and, uh, and listen to what God might have for you today. Uh, if you were a little late this morning, right at the start of, uh, of this service, 11 o'clock, we celebrated baptism. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm still a little wet, uh, but happy to be so, um, because that's always a, a wonderful, wonderful experience uh, to, to celebrate with the body of Christ. And so a, a huge congratulations to all the families involved there, and uh, I'm just glad you guys could be there to celebrate with them. Uh, let's pray before we start this, all right? Father, we thank you, Lord, just for new life in you. God, we thank you for the five souls who today declared to this church that they have found Christ and that they followed him in obedience through baptism. And uh, we want to celebrate that. God, we want to celebrate the way that you work in all of our lives. And so, God, as we look at your word today and we look at this story of Saul and how you, you did nothing less than change his life completely. Um, and, Lord, your word says that that's what you want to do in us. Um, and so we pray that you just have your way in this room. Uh, God, that, that my thoughts or my opinions or my um, inclinations just would have nothing to do with this hour, that we would just all hear directly from you. Um, we ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, there's a realtor in London by the name of Lindsey Craig, and, and he tells the story of this uh, warehouse property that he was selling. And the building had actually been vacant for a couple years, and, and it, so in, in, it needed a lot of repairs. And, and in that time, Vandals had damaged the doors, and they'd broken windows, and uh, trash had been strewn all around the interior. And so he brought this buyer out to show them the building, show them the property. And he took pains to tell them, you know, by the way, if you're interested in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix all the windows, and, and I'll bring in a crew to fix all the doors, and we're going to clean out all the garbage for you. And the buyer said, forget about all that. You don't need to do any of that. Because when I buy this place, I'm, I'm not looking to buy the building. I'm going to do something completely different here. All I want is the site, and I can build my own thing on it. Right, today we're celebrating baptism. We're celebrating the life change that God brings into people's lives. And it's the aim and design of this church that we point people to Jesus and then he gets a hold of their lives and changes them in ways that we never could. Right, we don't, we don't want to change your life. We don't have that power, but he does. Right? And so I, when you come here, we're going to point you to Jesus, not to us. We want you to be impressed with and experience Jesus and not think that we're anything special. And a lot of times when uh, we completely misunderstand what God wants to do in our lives and do with us. Right? Some people have, a lot of people out there have this, this notion that to enter into a relationship with God, you've got to clean up your act first. Right? If their life was a building, then they, they want to fix the doors and repair the windows and empty the garbage, and then maybe they'll give God a chance. Maybe then they could approach him. Or others come with this notion, they come to God thinking that they've got a pretty nice building, right? I mean, he may want to do some cosmetic tweaks, but God should be just as pleased with their life as they are. And the Bible paints a very different picture of both, than both of those scenarios. It tells us that God wants the sight. He wants our heart. Right, for instance, let's just, let's take a look at what we saw in baptism earlier today. Romans 6 tells us this, that in baptism, we were therefore buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may be raised to a new life. 
Uh, the verse tells us that the, the, pack, the picture of baptism is this, that, that we are buried under the water as dead people, that we are dying to ourselves, we're dying to our old life, we're dying to our desires and wishes and dreams, and we are raised back up into a whole new life, a whole new existence, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5 says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a uh, new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. Right, so when God takes hold of your life, he's not looking to do some restoration or repair. Right, his, his design is to make you a, a whole new being in him. And this is what he sets about to do in you. Ezekiel 36, he says that he will give you a brand new heart. In Ephesians 4, we're told to put on our new self, to embrace our whole new identity in Christ. This is God's design. It's his will. These are his intentions for you. And we're told that this is what he's going to do with all of creation in the end. And so the only question that lays before you is this. Will you submit to this? Will you submit to God's will for your life? Last week we implored you to become a person who simply says yes to God. Right? Um, that you would live your life with a yes constantly on the table in front of him. So whatever he brings your way, whatever he calls you to do, wherever he calls you to go, whomever he asks you to serve and love, that you would just say yes. And a huge part in saying yes to God is submitting to the work to the, that God wants to do, not just through us, but also in us. Right? Because if you do not let God work in you, then you greatly limit the work that God can do through you. So we promised you at the end of last week that, that we would get to see in Acts as we move forward what it looks like in people's lives when they just lay a yes on the table before God. And the very first thing that we will see is that God, by his power and grace, brings genuine life change. All right, there's, there's these big Christian words for this, sanctification and transformation. But the idea, you don't need to know those words, the idea is just what the Bible says, that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And I know, right, that in, these, in this room this morning, there are people all over the spiritual spectrum, right? Some of you have been Christians for many, many years, and you've heard uh, sermons on any topic that I could come up with today, right? You've walked with Jesus for as long as you remember. Some of you have been Christians for a shorter time than that, uh, but you've grown and you've experienced a level of life change already, and as your knowledge of the word has increased, as your knowledge of Christ has increased, your gratitude and affection for Jesus has increased. And some of you are even newer than that. Right? You've just recently submitted your life to Jesus, and it's, it's all exciting, it's all new, but you're still learning. And some of you are just here checking this out. Right? Maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe this is your first time, right? but you would admit that you, you've never given your life to Jesus because you're still checking these things out, you still have questions, you're still not convinced. Right? And maybe there's some of the myths who are just here for the first time, or in the church for the first time ever. Right? And you're invited, and you're not even entirely, entirely sure why you came, you're brand new to all of this, and I want you to know this. Wherever it is you fall on that spectrum and anywhere in between there, man, we are so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. Right? Because we believe and we know that you are where you are, where you're supposed to be in this moment. And just by your presence today, whether you're here willingly and joyfully or not, your presence here guarantees that God is working on you. See, it's not by an accident that you're here today. And so it doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum as much as this matters. God brought you here to reveal more of himself to you today. He's brought you here in order to move you along, to get more of him in your life, to reach out to you in a fresh new way today. The question that lays before you is, will you submit to it? Will you say yes to what God has in store for you today? This could be your 1500th time here. It could be your first. It doesn't matter. If you are here, God has you here for a reason. 
And I want you to see in the Bible today what happens in someone's life when they say yes to God. It sets in course a chain of events that we'll see clearly in the life of a man named Saul. All right, so some quick background just to bring you up to speed of those who haven't been with us. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts as a church since October. And in Acts chapter 7, our way through the book, we're introduced to a man named Saul. And as we're introduced to him, he is assisting those who are murdering a man named Stephen. Not a great introduction into Saul's life. Right, and these men are murdering Stephen because he's a follower of Jesus. And Saul and the rest of the Jewish religious leaders felt that Jesus was a threat to Judaism. Now, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of Judaism, but they hadn't recognized that yet. So they began attacking all who claimed belief in Jesus, and Saul was paramount in this effort. As we work through Acts, we find him going door to door looking for Christians. And when he finds them, he drags them out and throws them into jail. And on one such trip, right, he then went to areas outside of Jerusalem looking for Christians and arrested and persecuted them. And on one such trip, he's headed to a place called Damascus. And he's going there with the authority of the chief priest to arrest Christians. And something happens that he never thought possible. Jesus shows up. Just literally, if you read Acts 9, he just jumps right in front of Saul with a blinding light and knocks him to the ground and demands to know why Saul's persecuting him. Saul tries to gather himself, doesn't know what's happening. He says, "Who, who am I talking to? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus tells Saul, it's I, Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Saul is devastated. And we we told you today, we're going to show you a picture of what life change looks like in Jesus. Because Jesus appearing to Saul changed his life. But it wasn't the blinding light, and it wasn't even the conversation. We'll see the process as the story continues. Because when this conversation is over, Saul is left blind, and he's led into the city. And look what we're told in Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. It says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Right? Saul is left in this room. He can't see anything and he eats nothing and drinks nothing for three days. He just sits and he prays and he mourns because think about it. This man, by arresting and hurting all those Christians, thought he was serving God. So he thinks he's in serving God. He thinks he's on God's team and then God shows up and says, you're not serving me. You're actually attacking me and my people. And Saul is crushed. And this is hugely important. We, we can't move on to the new parts of the story without realizing this. Because for you or I, anyone, to experience real life change, to be a person who says yes to God, we must first be broken. And I don't mean broken by you making a 100% complete mess of your life. By broken, I mean you feel genuine sorrow and regret for what you've done. And the Bible, James 4, gives us a good picture of this when James writes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Psalm 51, David is writing and says, God, you do not delight in sacrifice, so I bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, so my sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit because a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. You see, the Bible takes sin very seriously, much more seriously than we do. And the cost of your sin was God sending his own son to suffer and be beaten and nailed and pierced and die on a cross. And it's why this notion that we must clean ourselves up before we come to God is so offensive to him. Right? As if some sort of New Year's resolution or changing a couple habits in my life would be enough to appease him when he loved me so much and hated my sin so much that he sent his own son to die in my place. It's also why you and I will never experience life change without first being broken. 
Right? If we're not sorry for our sin, if we don't grieve how we've actually rebelled against our creator, if we don't mourn the idea that we are the ones who sent him to the cross, then he's unwilling to move towards us. People often ask, what must I do to get right with God? What do I have to do to be granted eternal life? Well, the answer according to the Bible is brokenness. It's brokenness. It's not checking things off a box. It's not going to church. It's not doing enough good things. All those have value, right? The key to life change, the key to salvation is sorrow that leads you to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 7 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The Bible says that when we genuinely feel regret for our sin and we call out to God, it is impossible for him to resist showering all of his grace on us. He cannot help himself. He can't stop himself. He'll wipe your sins clean. He'll make you a brand new creation. He'll save your soul. He'll give you all of him that you can handle. And this is one of the ways that we know the Bible is true when it says that he created us in his image because we can't resist this either, right? In his retirement, Thomas Jefferson founded the University of Virginia. And Jefferson uh, decided, he trusted that his students would take their studies so seriously that it was unnecessary to write a code of discipline. Well, Jefferson quickly figured out that college students back then were a lot like college students today, right? And so not sensing consequences, they pushed every boundary they could, and it got out of control, and it got so bad that a group of students led a riot when some professors tried to restore order. The following day, a meeting was held between the university's board, of which Jefferson was the founding member, and defiant students. And Jefferson began by saying, this is one of the most painful events of my life. And then he was overcome by tears and couldn't speak anymore. At this display of emotion, one wise board member spoke up and he asked the writers to come forward and give their names. And nearly every single one of them did. Later, when asked why they confessed, one of the students said, it wasn't Mr. Jefferson's words, but it was his tears that compelled us to. You see, when we see brokenness, when we see regret and sorrow, unless we're just filled with hatred and we're bitter people, we are moved by it. Parents, let me ask you, when one of your children expresses genuine, I'm talking genuine sorrow and regret for something they did wrong, do you double down on your anger and punishment? No, when you see that brokenness, you're compelled to love them and shower them with grace, and that's what we get from God. God sees and acts on, he sees Saul's brokenness. So we're told he comes to him, he comforts him, he restores his sight, he strengthens him. And listen to what that did. Listen to what happened next. Look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 9. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, that's a key phrase, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. 
So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I want you to realize something you just read there. At the very start of Acts chapter 9, we are told that Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the followers of Jesus. At the start of Acts chapter 9, he's heading to a city to arrest and persecute more of them. Now, just two-thirds of the way through the chapter, Saul's had to flee for his life twice because people want to kill him for preaching in the name of Jesus. I'd say that's a pretty significant life change, wouldn't you? Right? So the fuel behind all of it is this brokenness he experienced in response to the conviction uh, that God laid in him. But in these verses that we just read, this section we just read, we're going to see what it looks like when someone says yes to God. We see the steps of life change. And the very first thing that you should notice there is that there's activity. Something is done. Something different is done. Right? Action is taken. We're told in verse 20 that at once Paul, Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he didn't say, you know what, I'm pretty famous for being anti-Jesus. Right, so maybe, maybe my strategy should be I should lay low for a few years, you know, get out of sight, get my name out of everybody's mouth, and then when it's safer, I'll go and share all this. You know, God interrupted his life, told him that he'd had it all wrong, and then he told him he had a mission for him, and at once, immediately, Saul went to work on it. And see, here's the thing. When the Lord convicts us of a sin... I believe the Bible calls for a response and often an instantaneous one. When God asks you to do something, I believe the Bible calls you to a response and often an instantaneous one. Now, we, we, may, we think this makes sense in secular circles all the time. Imagine this ridiculous scenario, okay? Imagine a man goes to a marriage counselor and he says, you know what? I get drunk and I beat up my wife and I feel terrible about it and I want to stop. That counselor would never say to him, you know what, sir? Life change takes a while. So let's set a goal. Let's see if you can get that down to, you know, maybe once a month. Let's set a goal that only 12 times this year you hit your wife. Then going forward, maybe we can shorten it to holidays and we'll just kind of work it out, right? If that ever happened, that counselor should be put in jail just with the husband, right? No, the response is this stops now. This ends now. Now I know, listen, I know the struggles, right? I know you won't be able to overcome every sinful characteristic you have in this life. But when you experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and if you're a Christian, you felt this, then you act. Confess your struggle to your spouse or a trusted brother or sister. Cancel your internet. End the relationship. Stop consuming that. Delete your social media. Whatever the conviction is over, whatever it takes, drastic action could be the wisest thing to do. And it's the same for a call to action, right? If God tells you to go on a mission trip, don't wait till next year when the finances make sense. Go, let him work it out. If he leads you to to someone to share about what he's done in your life, don't wait until you're comfortable or feel ready because you never will. If he leads you to give, to serve, to act, to move, to pray, do not put it off. Because we experience life change when we say yes to God and when we don't delay in doing so. And after we do, guess what happens? People notice. We read there in verse 21 that people are confused. Saul starts preaching that Jesus is the son of God, and they're all like, wait a minute, is this the same dude? 
Is that that same guy we've heard about? This, the one who's destroying people's lives in Jerusalem for believing in Jesus? The one who came here for the sole purpose to arrest anyone who believes in Jesus? And now he's standing here telling us that Jesus is the Son of God? What in the world happened? See, we recognize change in people all the time, don't we? Especially in outside change. I've got a humorous example for you. Last couple of weeks, I've gotten uh, way more than I expected, by the way, but a lot of comments and questions recently because for the first time in 20 years, I got a different haircut. This is, it's not that different, okay, because there's not a lot different you can do with short hair, but it's, it, it is a different. I'm surprised at how many people notice, and then I realized, wait a minute, this is a change. Right, people notice change. So just think of it. Just, just two weeks ago, right, I was a pale, bloated, unattractive guy with the same haircut for the last 20 years. And now, listen, now I'm a pale, bloated, unattractive guy with a new haircut, right? It's a remarkable change. You can't even calculate the difference. But you see, change, right? People notice change, but the change that God brings can be noticed on the outside, but it's much deeper than that. Much, much deeper. It's much more lasting. It's much more meaningful because it's a change from the inside because the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, and that actually changes your desires, and it changes your priorities and your dreams and your wishes. It changes everything about you. You begin to focus on the things that God is focused on. You begin to live for and serve the things that God is interested in. And it's beautiful and people notice. But there are always two different reactions to this. Because no matter how positive the change, right? No matter how gracious God is to you. No matter how redeemed or freed you feel. Some people aren't going to be a fan. There's not going to be a fan. See, Saul experienced genuine life change, where he's gone from searching out for people to arrest or kill them, to now where he's teaching them and trying to get them to discover the joy in life that he has found in Jesus Christ. He's no longer hurting people, right? He's trying to help them. He's no longer imprisoning people. He's trying to get them to discover the freedom that he's found. He's no longer hunting people down. He's serving them. And what does this get him? He doesn't even make it out of Damascus without somebody trying to kill him. And he goes to Jerusalem, and at first he's not welcome, and then after he has another group tries to kill him. You see, it's mind-boggling to me, but the undeniable truths of Scripture, the undeniable truths of history and personal life experience tell us that the closer you get to Jesus, there will always be detractors. There will always be people who aren't fans. There's always going to be a backlash. First Peter 4, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who've experienced this. He's writing to them and reminding them about all the ways they used to live, all the things they used to chase, all the, all the, everything that was bringing their life to ruin and before Jesus saved them from all of it. And he says, these people aren't happy for you. Instead, they find it strange. They're confused and upset that you don't join them in taking part in all the things they used to. Because you see, when God changes a person from the inside, those closest to that person can't help but notice it. You actually go from living just for the moment. You go from just living for yourself only and you start thinking about living for Christ and serving others. And that has a way of changing your schedule and it changes the way you spend money and it changes the things that you dream about and invest in. And though it's for the better for everyone involved, not everyone is happy with the change. But not everybody's upset either. Look at verse 31 again. Here's what we're told in verse 31, that then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. See, there's an amazing thing that happens when you say yes to God. And it doesn't just impact you. See, though there will always be detractors in much greater numbers, there will be those who are better off because of it. Think of the church at the start of Acts chapter 9. 
right? It was scattered and living in fear. There were people being dragged off to prison and beaten and murdered. Think of the tension and the fear and the anxiety that marked their days. And just one man, one man who just said yes to God and experienced life change, changed all of that. The church now finds itself in a time of peace. They're now being encouraged and strengthened. They're growing. Your obedience to God does not only affect you. This is why Jesus in Matthew 6 said that the greatest, the single greatest and most important call on your life is to seek first, to give highest priority to God and his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will cover everything else for you. And we say, no, no, Jesus, you don't understand. I need to focus on being a good father. I need, I need to be a good husband or wife. I need to provide for my family. There's things that I've got to take care of. And Jesus says, no, you need me. You need me. And the more that you have of me, the better off everyone else is in your life around you. See, dads, moms, the very best thing that you can do for your kids is to be someone who simply says yes to Jesus. Husbands and wives, the very best thing that you can do for your marriage is to walk in obedience to Christ and serve him first. The very best thing that any of us can do for those that we love and those who are our friends and those who are our neighbors and coworkers and all we come in contact with is to be people who seek Jesus first and his kingdom first. Because none of this was ever meant to die with you. There's an Italian violinist, or there was an Italian violinist by the name of Michelo Paganini. Okay, now, according to the internet, he was the most celebrated violin virtuoso of the 19th century. I don't know what any of that means, right, because I'm musically ignorant. But I'm pretty sure it means he was good at the violin, right? So, but there is a part of his story that's fascinating to me, right? Niccolo wheeled one of his most famous violins to a city in Italy called Genoa because this was the place where he'd been born. But he, he gifted this city, this violin, with one condition, that it never be played again by anyone, now, there's this funny thing about wood, right? As long as it's used, as long as it's handled, wood shows very little wear and decay. But as soon as it's ignored, it begins to decay rapidly. Right? And so this beautiful violin, gifted to the city, became nothing more than a worm-eaten, decaying mess sitting in its case. Because that instrument was never meant to be shelved or preserved. It was meant to be shared and played. See, God created you he formed you he placed you and when he did he gave you talents and gifts he gave you passions and interest he's given you resources and a place to live and a vehicle to drive he's given you family of friends he has poured out one blessing on you after another and not a single one was designed just for you not one of them you were created for and called to live a life where, where you live for Jesus and share your life with others. And when you do, when you say yes to God, you actually thrive. You become who you were created to be. You experience the life that God designed you to experience. You find fulfillment and purpose that's not found elsewhere in this world because this is what you were made for. And when you live your life disconnected from God... You eventually, over time, become more and more disconnected from others, no matter how social you are. And over time, you decay. And you become less and less who you were created to be, and you experience less and less of the things God called you to experience. And so you find distractions. You find other gods to live for. Other things to chase. And they, these will come and go. Right? Because none of them last, but for a season, they're what you live for. But each passing day, there's this growing notion that you're missing out on what you were created for. And our creator came for you. He 
came to die for you. He came to show you that that doesn't have to be your story. So I'll say it again. It doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum we talked about earlier. God is calling out to you now. He's wanting to have more of a say in your life. He's wanting a closer relationship with you, wanting you to have more of him. Will you say yes? Today, for the first time, will you surrender your life to Jesus? We'll, we'll show you how. Follower of Christ, today, will you commit to taking an action that you will be as serious about that sin as God is? That you will move on what he's calling you to do immediately? Right, today, will you surrender even more of yourself, more of your life, more of your dreams to him so that those around you and those you love can receive the blessing of your obedience to Christ? Today, all around this room, will we be people who say yes to God? So we're we're going to sing another song, and, and I'll be right up here in the front, okay? And, and while we sing or after we sing, it doesn't matter when you come. If you want to know what it looks like to give your life to Jesus Christ or what it will look like for you specifically to say yes to God today, and you need or want to talk to someone, that's why we're here. It's why we're here. Do not hesitate. Come forward. We'll open the word and pray together. We'll get it straight today. God brought you here today for this reason. You might be sitting there trying to talk yourself out of this. Tell yourself, it's not, this, it's not a big a deal as you think it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The creator of the universe drew you to this place and is calling out to you to embrace him, to surrender something to him, to give him control of your life. This couldn't possibly be a bigger deal. Will you say yes to him today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when you take control of our lives, you change things. Because God, your wisdom is greater than ours. Your knowledge is greater than ours. You simply know more than us. You have better plans than we do. You have better ideas than we do. So God, all around this room, I pray that we will submit to your plans. We'll submit to your dreams and your wants and your wishes for our lives. That we just be people who say yes. God, there's one here for the first time, never given their life to Jesus, and they're wondering, it's today, today, may that be today, that they would say yes and let Christ in. God, for the followers in here, for the things that you're putting the finger on in our lives, whether it's a sin that you want us to surrender to you, whether it's a calling or an action you want us to take, whether it's a heart or characteristic attitude that we need to, to lay at the foot of Jesus today. Help us just say yes, to give that to you. I think of the blessing that this church and this community will have if everyone in here today leaves this place more obedient to you and has more of you in their lives. So God, do this in our midst. And not just for them and not for us, but for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.